Hello and welcome to the Bible with Megan podcast. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. There are two types of episode in this podcast. The first is where I look at wider themes about the Bible, within the Bible, questions about how we should study the Bible and how it relates to our world. The second type of episode are just Bible studies and each week I'll go chronologically through a book of the Bible. The Bible is such a beautiful book and such an incredible gift that we have been given by God and I just hope that in this podcast you will learn to love studying it even more and that it will strengthen your faith. So let's get on with today's episode. Hello friends, welcome back to another episode in the Revelation series. This week we are in Revelation chapter 9 and oh man, I could talk for hours on this passage. The research I've just done over this, is there's, there's so much. Um, do you remember back at the beginning of this series we looked at the opening vision of, of Jesus and kind of tracked through all the Old Testament references in that passage and there was loads well this section is a bit like that there's just so much going on there is so much um, context biblical context it's kind of stuff that's being hyperlinked back to the Old Testament in these descriptions and not only to the Old Testament but also to other ancient writings, um, uh, Jewish writings, things like First Enoch um, and and stuff like that, and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and there's all these kind of ideas that are being referenced. Obviously, those those last two that I just mentioned aren't scripture, but they give us an insight into the kind of thought world of the people um, living at this time and who wrote these things down yeah there's so much so what I'm going to talk to you about is really just skimming the surface but I'm going to give you a bite-sized version of um the more kind of in-depth studies on this and, and links and and if you want I'll I'll link some places where you can go and and do a proper deep study into this um I'll find I'll find an article or two in a podcast or whatever if you want to dive in more and I'll link it in the show notes but but yeah there is so much but but yeah, it's it's really fun. Like if you have the time, listen to Michael Heiter's podcast. I will link that. That's that's what I'll link. And just the amount of kind of source material that this is referencing to is crazy, and uh, it really helps us to understand the text in such a deep way. Actually, try and understand what John is trying to communicate here, because for him, these images that that he sees, he would have kind of known what they were referencing. For us, we have to decode that a little bit in terms of looking into the the context. For him, if he would have seen this vision, he would have seen these these creatures that he sees and all the different elements of the creatures and how these events unfold. He knows exactly. He doesn't even have to think about it. He knows what that is on about. Um, 
So we're going to have a quick look into that today. I don't want this to go on forever, so we're just going to do a brief overview. But let's just start in the first couple verses of chapter 9, shall we? It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Okay, let's just stop there. That's just verse one. So this is the fifth uh, trumpet judgment, the fifth angel blowing the trumpet, um, and a star is falling from heaven to earth, and he, so this is a some sort of being, was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Okay, so firstly, uh, who is the fallen star is a question you might have. This might be the same angel that we hear about um, in chapter 8 that we talked about last time. In verse, um, I think it's verse 10. Yeah, it, it Wormwood, that star, it could, it could be that star. However, this star is being given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So it suggests that it's been given, um, it, it's kind of trusted to do something for God here. It's part of this mission, it's been given this key. And in Revelation 20, we encounter an angel with the key to the bottomless pit who is told to bind Satan. So it could be that same angel. Uh, the fact that it's called a fallen angel kind of um, means that there is a few different ideas around this because some people would say that because it's a fallen angel, that has connotations of being an, an evil being rather than a the good supernatural being. Um, there's kind of it goes both ways here but but it seems like this angel is is under god's command because it's been given the key and we heard earlier in the book that jesus is the one that has the keys to death and to hades so whatever it is it's part of god's judgment and is enacting it um and the key opens the shaft of the bottomless pit what is the bottomless pit? Well, there's a few different kind of synonyms that are linked to the bottomless pit. Firstly, it could be um, linking to um, Hades, uh, the realm of the dead, which we've just said Jesus has the keys to. So there's those connotations and links in that phrase, but also there's a link to the abyss. Now we come across the abyss in the New Testament when Jesus encounters the man who is possessed by a legion of demons. They, well, they call themselves legion, don't they? Do you remember they get cast out into the pigs? Yeah. And they beg Jesus not to send them to the abyss. The abyss in the Old Testament and in Jewish thought is a place where demons are imprisoned so you can see why the demons don't want to go there it's not just the place where where demons are it's like it's like a prison they don't want to go there um and so this key is is releasing those demons who are imprisoned in this pit um also the abyss also in in the old testament the abyss is associated with chaos um the kind of anti-creation and so that would make sense in this narrative, wouldn't it? We're seeing in Revelation, we're seeing God um, bringing in a new creation. But in order for that to happen, there has to be this kind of level of um, destruction going on because that anti-creation stuff that's against his good creation needs to be brought out and dealt with. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. 
I'd really recommend listening to Michael Heiser on this. Um, he gives a lot more detail about specifically who these demonic beings in the abyss are. Um, he links it to Genesis 6 and the story of um, the Nephilim, um, and then which... Oh man, this is a whole other rabbit trail. This is what I mean, you can go into so much detail here. But how, how do I put this concisely? Okay. In Genesis 6, there's these Nephilim, and they are the um, children of the uh, demons that slept with human women. Do you remember that story just before the flood? Um, that's kind of why the flood had to, had to happen. In that, so whether that's figurative or literal, um, those those beings when they were killed, the idea in Jewish thought was that demons and the ones that were in prison specifically, these ones, um, were the kind of disembodied spirits of these Nephilim of these um, children that were like half human, half um, what they called sons of God, and so. Um, we see these come up again in First Enoch, which again is a non-scriptural text, but it shows us the our kind of Jewish thought around these topics. Um, and they're called the Watchers in that text. And several times in that in that text in First Enoch, it says that the Watchers are imprisoned and they will be released at the time of the end. Um, that's a really really brief overview. But Michael Heiser basically thinks that what's going on here is that these um, creatures that kind of caused another another fall um by by the by the kind of spiritual beings being with human beings wasn't isn't how things were meant to be um and these creatures now the well the spirits of those creatures of the that were the product of that are now being released back um out into the world and the kind of consequences of those of those actions um are coming back and yeah <laughs> go listen to him it's not something i can explain really quickly to be entirely honest with you um but it does make sense and it is thoroughly rooted in in scripture and like i said we we see this in the new testament where jesus encounters that man um and the the legion of demons we see a reference to this and this this a place called the abyss so this unlocking of the bottomless pit is is releasing this demonic force. Um, it's showing again that, that in Revelation we mustn't forget that passage in Ephesians that tells us our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There's a spiritual warfare going on in the biblical narrative. And Revelation is just as much about that coming to its climax as it is the tension between humans and God coming to its climax because they're so intertwined so <laughs> all of that just to explain the bottomless pit but let's read on and look at what comes out of the pit as i've already suggested um i've suggested michael heiser's interpretation there that these are the watchers um or the the kind of this demonic this demonic thing um but let's look at that passage and then let's read some Old Testament that will give us an insight as to where this imagery is coming from and what it's referencing. So, verse 2. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. 
and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breast breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. And those names are just footnoted in my Bible, actually. It says Abaddon means destruction and Apollyon means destroyer. So we'll, we'll get onto him in a moment. But let's look at these locusts. Um, we've spoken already last time about how these trumpet ju judgments are echoing Exodus. And uh, one of the plagues in Exodus was the plagues of locusts. But these locusts are weird, aren't they? They're really weird. They have a strange appearance. Um, but there is a reason for this. This is referencing another Old Testament passage, well, several Old Testament passages actually, as well as other Jewish scriptures. But the most important is Joel. So let's go and look at Joel, because I think just by reading through that, we're gonna understand a lot more of what is going on here. The book of Joel is a prophetic book. Um, and most scholars think it was written after the exile to Babylon, perhaps around 586 BC. And in this book, Joel is calling the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem to return to the Lord. This is, I'm reading from the ESV website here, just, just to clarify. But he's um, telling the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem to lament and return to the Lord during a time of national disaster. And it says, a locust plague has destroyed both wine and grain, and this threatens people's ability to present offerings in the temple. But there's more than just that literal locust plague going on. There's Obviously, this is prophetic too. And um, in his prophecy, he talks about a locust invasion, which leads up to the day of the Lord, and is also coupled with an invasion of an army. So um, he talks about the locusts in chapter one, and we're just going to read chapter two. Just wondering whether to read the whole thing it's quite long I don't think I'll read the whole thing but I'll read the beginning of it for you just so we can get a sense of this imagery that, that is coming up in Revelation as well so this is Joel chapter 2 it says blow a trumpet in Zion sound an alarm on my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming it is near a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and thick darkness this reminds us of the smoke doesn't it like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people their like has never been seen before nor will be again after them through the years of all generations fire devours before them behind them a flame burns 
The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. So in that, we su- this suggests that before this, if we're taking this as locusts, before it's like the Garden of Eden and there's nothing behind them, so they're kind of eating through um, this this creation, this garden, this nature, it's also kind of God's good creation. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the top of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, and their all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale sorry, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way, they do not swerve from their paths, they do not jostle one another, each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons that are not halted, they leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb up into their houses and enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them and the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And that links back to the question we heard just before the five trumpets, isn't it? Seven trumpets, but we're on five. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So there's such a parallel here, isn't there? We can clearly see that um, this is leading up to the day of the Lord. This this kind of swarm of locusts that also have this other imagery surrounding them um, is leading up to that. But within that, God is still wanting people to turn and repent, um, and that's why in these sections the the amount they're allowed to destroy is is limited. A third um, are allowed to be tormented and not actually killed either. Um, and also, the people who who have the seal of God can't be touched by these people. So the ones who are faithful to Him are already safe um, from this from this judgment, from this this horror that's going on. What's different here to that Joel passage is the locusts aren't coming to get the the green grass and the nature. That they're, they're coming for people, um, and this is something that me- makes it seem more demonic than a human army necessarily and um this is also the case because in the ancient world um when people were writing about demons they would use kind of animal imagery if that makes sense so it would be quite common for someone to be like oh this this evil spiritual being had the head of a duck and a the tail of a platypus or whatever and that's just sort of how they gave them figures because they you know if they're disembodied that's kind of hard to explain so they give them these figures with animal parts so this seems to be this this kind of demonic force that's being released that is referencing joel 2 um in the run-up to the day of the lord there's a whole other 
load of stuff here which is referencing other stuff you might want to look up um Isaiah 42 about the flying serpent and smoke um again obviously Exodus 10 um Deuteronomy 28 Job 39 where it talks about a war horse um there's some connections there Jeremiah 51 um where it's talking about kind of this kind of thing in the context of Babylon um also this scorpion idea could be linked again this is something Michael Heiser brings up to uh, rabbinic ideas of um torment um and scorpions being linked and also lions come in there somehow this is in the testament of Solomon which is a rabbinic text again i haven't actually read that but that's what he says and i, I trust him on that so if you want more detail on these things please go and listen to that because um he spent a lot of time researching this and this for me is just an overview but hopefully that just shows you the kind of level of hyperlinking that's going on here this isn't this isn't vague or strange to the people reading it they would have made these connections instantly so for us to read this we we have to keep that in mind we have to keep that in mind there's so many themes this is about the day of the lord this is about um these demonic forces being released because all this destruction has to come about and, c and culminate um before new creation can come in there's all these themes that are linked to this imagery here in this passage and for us to come and read this and not acknowledge that and then try and bring our own interpretation onto it well we just we just can't do it we're just bound to get it wrong because there's so much in here that um th that we just miss if we're just coming at it just reading it from a 21st century perspective and don't put time into trying to understand what john was meaning by this when he wrote it down um yes it's a prophecy but equally it's a prophecy that god's given to john who is this a person who knows the Jewish scriptures um, and this, that's why there's so many references in there so many links and, and we've got to take time to understand that so we can then interpret faithfully um, just a word on that idea of the the person or the the angel sorry called Abaddon um, that name's also found like in the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff again it's a common Jewish idea that there's this particular angel that rules over the bottomless pit called abaddon is it is it satan i don't know um but it's definitely a demonic evil spiritual figure and just suggests that these locusts um are demonic things rather than people so then we get verse 12 which says the first woe has passed behold two woes are still to come so we're tracking these woes aren't we we heard the last um the announcement of the woes happened in the end of chapter 8 just before chapter 9 and it seems like what we've just read was the first woe and there's still two more to come and we'll see them pop up again later in the book of revelation so we will get to them let's read the next section of chapter 9 with everything in mind that we've just read a lot of it continues into this um sixth trumpet says and the sixth angel blew his trumpet and i heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before gods this is in the throne room uh, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who were bound at the great river euphrates so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour the day the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind the number of mounted troops were twice ten thousand times ten thousand i heard their number 
And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the colour of fire and sapphire and of sulphur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulphur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed, and by the fire and smoke and the sulphur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Okay, so these other this other army is released from the great river euphrates now the river euphrates is in the north um and there's a couple things going on here a kind of cultural bit of information that might help us understand this is it could be relating to the parthian army we've talked about them before back in the letters letters to the churches this army that rome was really scared of and um the soldiers in the army would ride on horses they were known for having long hair and they would ride forwards but they would shoot backwards they had this special skill that they'd mastered shooting their arrows backwards um and so craig keener actually suggests that this imagery is there because it's talking about um prophecies that these kind of foreigners to rome would come and invade and take over so there's this kind of fear in the empire it's tapping into of, of this insecurity of human systems and of empires and this kind of fear of of armies coming in and, and taking over and destroying things human power isn't um eternal like god's power is this kind of that kind of idea running through this also um there's a concept in the old testament in uh, you can look at isaiah jeremiah joel ezekiel kind of the prophets of there being an enemy from the north and this refers to a kind of supernatural um cosmic evil that that is coming that is going to come um again you can listen to michael heiser's podcast if you want more information on that but it links into what we've just read about the locusts the fact that these forces of evil are coming out and closing in because this destruction is coming in before a new creation is going to emerge this is coming up to the climax of this final battle between good and evil is this a demonic army or is it a human army um maybe but maybe both maybe this is representing both here and the fact that both these demonic figures and humans um have rebelled against god and want to attack him the humans are kind of tied in with the demonic here um in revelation 20 and we'll get to that it talks about nations being deceived and then coming to attack um and they're people but they're being deceived and i think that's suggested by these last few verses in chapter nine that just ah, oh, they're just so full of like it just grieves you to read it doesn't it even in the face of all this judgment the people that that survive um still won't turn to god they still won't turn. They are so hardened in their hearts. 
that they continue to worship um, idols and demons. Um, so they're, they're tied up with this demonic stuff that's going on. It's not that humans and the demonic are separate. It's all mingled up together in this kind of messy web. And these people are still not repenting and still not turning. Um, and the day's closing in where it's going to be that last chance. Um, but still, God in his mercy is restraining full judgment just yet. And still leaving time for people to repent. And um, <laughs> the question I've written here in after these this passage in my Bible is, what will it take? What will it take? seeing these consequences of evil being played out and, and God's God's judgment beginning to come in part what will it take for people to turn to him and uh, you know the enemy is such a grip on the world and on people and if we take anything from this it's that we can see why Jesus calls us to be a light in the darkness it's not just a nice little phrase for us to be kind people or whatever it, it's quite literal there is such a dark evil hold upon this world and we are called to come and be light in that and bring god's love and mercy into it to offer people a place in this new creation that is coming because that's where god wants them we mustn't forget that in the midst of reading this god so wants the people he has created to be with him in the new creation to be living the life that he's created them for not not to be mixed up and and taken by this sinful kind of a chaotic demonic stuff and we <laughs> people do choose that you know i'm not saying they're just completely led by the demonic or whatever there's people choose into that but it is jesus coming in and and offering us a way to him that that ah oh, just yeah by his example by his death and resurrection by the holy spirit filling us we can choose otherwise we can come to him by his grace by his mercy he saves us we get to bring an element of the new creation now into the world where we are to see people being brought into that as well i mean it, it we, we mustn't forget when we're reading the Revelation, this is about Jesus. This is about the Gospel. There's more going on here than just a prediction of some sort of timeline that's going to happen in the last however many years of, of Earth as we know it. God's heart is right in the middle of this. He wants people to be with him in this new creation. And here is the final battle between good and evil and good will win and we know that and and the demonic knows that too even though they keep fighting they just want to pull as many people down with them as they can and so our mission as christians today is to <laughs> not be dragged into that ourselves but also to be such a witness to god's way that that light comes into the darkness and and maybe that that witness of who Jesus is, that is what brings people to repentance. It certainly did for me. And I'm sure that is what caused you and to repent too in your heart to be softened. Seeing who Jesus was, seeing his mercy and his love. Um, 
yeah. Anyway, that's just some of my thoughts at the end there. I'm going to pray. And then we'll close up and, and I'll be back next week to move into chapter 10. But thank you, Lord. You are so merciful to us. Thank you, you are so merciful to us. That you give us opportunity after opportunity to repent and to turn to you and Lord as people who have repented and, and can follow you and, and live in your joy and live with the Holy Spirit inside of us God we pray you would lead us that you would give us boldness to share your gospel to be a witness to Christ that your light in the darkness would soften people's hearts that they would turn to you they'd repent of their evil ways before it is too late God before it gets to this last moment these last days the final chance where still their hearts are hard Lord we want to see our friends our family in the kingdom of God with us in this new creation in order to just pray for those people that are on our minds right now those friends and family we so long to have with us in the new creation soften their hearts Holy Spirit we ask Give us the right things to say, the right actions to make, that we may be a witness to you. Help us to see, Lord, there's more going on here. There's this, this whole story that we are part of. This whole story of people and how they turn away from you and, and the kind of spiritual side of that as well. May we understand that and the, know the the depth and importance of it by reading this book of Revelation but may it fuel us on to bring your kingdom to show your love share your gospel so others may repent and be brought in that they would have the mark on their foreheads that they would not be taken by these judgments and their hearts would not be hard in those last days Lord Jesus we ask it in your mighty name Amen be really really helpful and it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey if you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources you can also follow me over on instagram at bible with megan or one word where i update everything that's going on and have content on there as well so i really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode.